Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Hello there, Des Cahill here. And today's visitor to the island has just ended his 10-year term as president of Dublin City University, DCU. It's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Brian McCrana. Brian, we'll chat in a while about how DCU has grown so much, but take us back to your early days. Yeah, I grew up in, in Dundalk, a great town to grow up in, and uh, both my parents were teachers, so that had, a, I suppose, a big influence on my life. And both of them taught me, which maybe I'm not, not sure. Not always easy. Not always uh, easy, and maybe not there. recommended. Yeah. Yeah. So my mother taught in South Armagh, so for my first four years, I, I went to school there, which was very interesting, but very different and it was just before the troubles began. And yeah, I learned a lot that the education was very good and it was great being close to your mum. Was that, like, have they a different system? South Armagh was obviously under, was it under the yeah, British Yeah, it was, system? of course, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, there was no Irish, so I learned no Irish for the first four or five years and that had to be corrected when I, when I came south. So I went up to primary four, yeah, as the primary one to primary four. And uh, yeah, they had a different, I mean, the 11 plus was the big yeah, thing and was yeah. building towards that. And then um, I came south to my dad's, the dad's school and uh, had to learn a lot of Irish very quickly. And uh, my dad was principal of the school in Dundalk, school on Bashta. And again, not to be recommended, mm-hmm. uh, but I suppose I learned it. In looking back, I could understand a lot of the things my dad did. He was quite strict, and but a huge emphasis on fairness. I remember one night uh, at home, I'd forgotten what my homework was to be. And he was downstairs watching telly and I went to Dad, uh, you know, what, what, was the, what was the homework for maths, you know? And he said, well, no other boy in the school can come in and ask me that, so you're certainly <laughs> not going to be able to do it. So that stuck with did, me. Did but it have any impact around the town? Like yeah. I, I also was the son of a school principal and sometimes... Yeah. Around only when I'm in my fifties. Oh, there's Mr. Carlson. You know, you know oh, yeah. he's a lads in their 70s on oh, about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No, I had, I had a guy out working on the, our, our new house last week. We're clearing a septic tank, yeah. and the guy came. It turned out he was from the school, but he remember, like they fondly remember my dad, yeah. and and fondly rem- I got lovely letters recently about people that my mum had taught as well. Both passed away in recent mm-hmm. years, so. Yeah. But it meant there was a huge emphasis on education in the, in, in, in the family and learning and reading and so on. So that, that, was, that was the backdrop for, for yeah, yeah. what I came through, you know. Your first musical choice, Raglan Road. Tell us about this choice. Yeah, there's a number of connections uh, w- with this. Number one, it's, you know, a lot of people love this song and people would often talk about the Luke Kelly version. I love the Van Morrison version and I think it's the strongest. And I love Van Morrison anyway. Uh, I suppose the connections have a strong emphasis in poetry. Mine have loved poetry. Seamus Heaney, Paddy Kavanagh. Paddy Kavanagh was from Inneskeen, as you know. And my dad's first teaching job was in Inneskeen and he used to meet Kavanagh on the, on the, on the train, the express from Dundalk to Inneskeen. Um, there was a train from Dundalk there was to Inneskeen. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it was the metropolis, really. But <laughs> uh, I love the. I think it's a beautiful poem in itself and unrequited love. Mm-hmm. And we probably have all have been through this. Another interesting part of it, which I only learned in recent years, that the person, the subject of Paddy Cavan's desire was a lady called Hilda Moriarty, mm. who, who obviously turned her back on him. But she ended up marrying Donna Dunham, O'Malley, yeah. who transformed education in Ireland and yeah. the free secondary education. So there's, there's a lovely set of connections yeah. for me. But I suppose overall, it's a beautiful piece of poetry and beautifully delivered by Van Morrison. 
Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Raglan Road and Van Morrison, the choice of today's guest, the former president of Dublin City University, Dr. Brian McCraw. So where, where did you go to college? I then went on to UCG, as it was then, or NUI Galway, as it's called now, and that, that was because the school I attended in Dundalk, uh, CBS Dundalk, mm-hmm. as it was then, now called Colosh the Reach, had an Irish stream. Uh, so a lot of students would have taken the, the Leaving Cert Tregeilge, and there was a Scaloricht, and yeah. uh, you, so you could take your degree Tregeilge in, in UCG and get a decent scholarship. So I did my physics degree, Tregeilge, yeah. and it was a very interesting experience because in the, in the English, through English class, there was about 450 students, there was, there was 10 Tregeilge, so it was like being at Oxford and getting yeah, personal yeah, tuition. Yeah. But uh, I loved UCG, it was great, Fant- fantastic time there, and uh, spent eight years there, in fact, overall, um, so I'm a proud alumnus of... Why, because you, you studied, <coughs> you did extra studies. I did math. kept failing no. for sure. <laughs> that could, that could have happened to <laughs> Uh, no, I did a master's and a PhD there and I just had, had a great time and, and from that went on back to Dundalk IT as my first job and then on to DCU in 1986. I read what you, what you studied and, and the areas and they're very specific and scientific, yeah, but, but in layman's terms. Well, I, I was, the, the title of the ter- area was, was light optics and spectroscopy, but it's really using light to, to gain information. And I got very excited. Uh, I had a, my PhD supervisor, one of them was a guy called Frank Imbush, who had worked with the Nobel laureate, who won, got the Nobel Prize for the laser. And he brought that excitement back to Gaul and brought her into lectures. And that really fascinated me. So I did my work with him and Professor Tom Glynn there as well. But then I got interested in using light to to gain important information like looking at pollution in air and pollution in water and then I got very excited about applying it to medicine. So I got excited about what you'd call biosensors so and uh, you know detecting small amounts of uh, uh, antibodies in blood very relevant now for yeah. example and for early detection of disease and using light to do that very sensitively. So and that, that really I, I drove my research. I, uh, I feel in research. Explain though how the light will help with that. Uh, how, how it works in practice well if you want to measure very small concentrations of anything whether it be pollution or a very in early indication of cancer for example mm-hmm. uh, you need something very sensitive so you you can actually tag a kind of a molecular reaction with a label that you can shine light on and it glows and the more sensitively right. you can detect that and create methods for doing that and using the science to do that the earlier you can detect the disease and for any disease the earlier you can detect it the better so yeah. it became about Using all the science and the physics to maximise the signal you could get. So it's getting this is getting very technical. No, no, but it's, but it's very interesting. So yeah. what did, what did you do with what you learned? Well, again, we, when when first of all I went to Washington D.C. and worked with the U.S. Navy for a year on bio warfare detection. That was really exciting and seeing like this, this was technology that was used now not not to kill people but yeah. to detect the yeah. the attacks. And then back in DCU, we established uh, two big centres, a centre for sensor research and a biomedical diagnostics institute, and used the technology to develop platforms that could be used in, in, in medicine. And really, really satisfying work. And uh, that's what really, I suppose, was, was a keynote of, of, of all my research. I wanted it to be useful to people in society. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that really excited me. So you were with the American Armed Forces for a year? Well, I worked well, in the U.S. Naval yeah. Research Lab, oh, so not quite. Sorry, big point. No, there's a, <laughs> there's a, a very significant difference. I, I, I see that. 
and but that was studying potential. That was developing technology that actually got deployed in in, in the, wow. the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to protect people, yeah, that was the important thing. So I wouldn't have done it otherwise. But I was able to take a lot of the technology I learned there and bring it back to DCU and, and feed it into my own research areas in in the university and uh, apply it in different ways. Yeah, it was very exciting, really. It certainly was. But when you went back to DCU, then. Did you go there from America? Oh, my, my year in America was a sabbatical year oh. from DCU. So I had I joined DCU in 86 and this was around uh, 1998. I was in the States. Um, so I came back. It was just at a time when things were changing in Ireland and government was putting a lot of money into research. Mm. And Chuck Feeney, the major philanthropist from Atlantic Philanthropies, he was matching government funds. So suddenly there was a new era. And we started building big research, successful research centres. So I, I really was lucky to catch the wave of that so we we established you know quite large research centers with like over 250 people in them wow. um, and competing internationally uh, and you know developing a, a big name for the university research and that happened right across the university not just in yeah, my of area course, yeah. so. your second musical choice given that you mentioned detection of illnesses and you know pollution whatever and unfortunately illness hit your family yeah, this is, a, I suppose, an unusual choice in a way, but it, it turns out positively. No, it, around about 2000, and, well, it was mid-2001, our son Owen, we have two children, Aoife and Owen. Owen was about 11, about to go into secondary school, and he was uh, diagnosed with a, a rare but aggressive form of cancer, rhabdomyosarcoma, the name never leaves mm-hmm. you. He had a big tumour behind the eye. and So we went through hell for a few years, three or four years, through uh, surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and all of that, and the outcome wasn't clear at any stage, so... Uh, we did notice as Owen was coming out of chemotherapy each time he used to ask for his headphones and he used to play this tape that his sister Aoife had given him of Rage Against the Machine and this is fairly heavy stuff <laughs> we didn't understand what, what this but, uh, but it seemed to give him peace and you know, uh, bring him back into uh, connecting with us again someone mentioned to me about talking to the Make-A-Wish Foundation their fantastic organisation mm-hmm. that will connect children with life-threatening illnesses with a wish mm-hmm. so I said to Owen would you like us to do this and he, I said he says, yes. So we brought Make-A-Wish people out and we, they asked him, what would you most like in the world? And he said, I'd love to meet Tom Morello, the lead guitarist with Rage Against the Machine. And we were kind of mm-hmm. gobsmacked and they looked at us and said, look, the chances are very slim. Would you would like a guitar instead? So I'm sure he would. But anyway, six months later, I was in the lab teaching a class and a phone came and, in, and it was uh, Make-A-Wish. And Mr. Morello would like to invite Owen and the family out to Los Angeles to a studio and so on. Amazing. Anyway, the, the very positive part of this is two things. One is, the day before I got an email from Tom Morello, this amazing guitarist, mm. and he said, well, what bands is Owen like? And I said, you know, Metallica, Chili Peppers, Slash, Guns N' Roses, mm. all of this. And So we went out there and Make-A-Wish made it very clear, you'll get an hour with this guy, you'll get a photograph and an autograph, and be very happy. So we thrilled. Mm. So we went to the studio and he gigged with Owen and showed him all the tricks on the guitar. And then he says, look, I want you guys to hop in my car for a moment. And he drove us down Sunset Boulevard into this restaurant. And in walks the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Yeah. And they spent a half an hour and then he says, we're going again. And oh brought us, we met Slash and System of a Down and all this. And I went on and on for days. And 19 years later, uh, well, Owen is fine, which is the important yeah. thing. Yeah. We're still friends. And, and Owen participated in Tom's wedding in uh, 2009. You're joking. 
Yeah, and if you look at his recent albums and his new book coming out, he's added the Shamrock logo to his family crest, which is amazing, you know. So I suppose the message for us was, and and the therapeutic, we're sure that Owen's recovery was hugely associated with this, but the, you know, the the therapeutic impact of kindness and generosity of someone. And and you wouldn't expect it when you hear about the Metallica and Chili Peppers. All of them, all of them so generous and kind. But Tom Morello and... Audio Slave was the other band he, yeah. he, he joined and Prophets of Rage at the moment. But that kindness just persisted. So. I, d- I did, 20 years ago, I did the first Make-A-Wish ball, right? Oh, really? And yeah. I started crying on the stage because oh. it was a child who wanted to be a fireman and yeah, was brought yeah. to... London's Burning was a big ITV oh, drama yes, at yes, the time. Yes, and yes, he was in Tower Street. I went to London and he met all the stars of it. Yeah. And there's a video of it and I'm looking at it and I got all emotional. <laughs> and Albert Reynolds was there as Taoiseach at the time. His daughter yes. was on the, And he said to me, that was very emotional, you know, mm. fair play to you. you know. Mm. But the following year, there was a young girl who loved the Cranberries. Yeah. And the Cranberries brought her and her family to Canada. And yeah. br- she went on stage with Dolores and sang. And so the video ends, back to me on the stage, and I'm crying again. <laughs> so Albert Reynolds says to me afterwards, Jeez, last year I was watching, you know, and thinking you're in emotion. Now he's like, it's just part of your gig, he <laughs> says to me. Uh, it is very emotional, but I mean, it, but it's it so when emotional. You, when, yeah. you, when, you, when you see that, that generosity of spirit and kindness and how it can tr- change people's lives, I think that's, that's what hits you, really, you know. So that means this, the musical choice is Like a Stone by Audio Slave. There's a very nice uh, guitar solo in it, which gives you a sense of how good this guy Tom Morello really is. So. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Like a Stone from Audio Slave, the choice of today's guest, former president of DCU, Dr. Brian McCraw, who has just ended 10 years term as president of Dublin City University. It has become such a huge uh, college. How big is it now? Yeah, we've grown by about 70%. So when I took over, it was 11,000 students. We're just about 18,500 students now. And we had one campus in 2010. We now have um, three academic campuses and a new innovation campus as well. So I suppose the footprint and the scale has grown dramatically in, in the North Dublin, in the Drumcondrick, Nevin region, really responding to the needs of Irish society and, and particularly our region itself. And But it was it's a very dramatic change to go from being a researcher and scientist to... You're effectively you're running a massive business, aren't you? Well, it's a massive organisation, yeah. And it, it it wasn't part of my master plan, and people are surprised when I say this. So I was very happy, as I explained to you, about yeah. doing what I was doing, and people suggested I, I consider the role when it came up in, in 2009, just before the 2010. And I thought about it for a few months and said, look, what could I do if it's in the role? And really it comes back to that notion of transformation. Could you make a difference to mm. people's lives? And I started getting very excited about it, and I kind of come up with a with a strategy and a plan and that's what I, I sold at the interview and people bought it but I, it's been a fantastic opportunity to work with amazing people the staff at DCU incredible people and our wonderful students it's just I mean it's a privilege of a role it's the best job in the world to be able to be surrounded by 18,000 bright and enthusiastic young people and know that you can make a difference to their lives yeah. and know that they feed so much energy and positivity back to you was wonderful. I mean, I'm missing it already <laughs> terribly. So, what, what were the bigger challenges you faced? I suppose the, the challenges were. I mean, I I started off at the, at the crash. So yeah. so I came from crash to to COVID really. Yeah. So with the book ended by a major crisis. So underfunding. So you had to be innovative. You had to be opportunistic. And a lot of things we did. Um, we had to. You know, the staff joined in. We we 
co-created a vision, strategy, what we would do. We created Ireland's first faculty of education, not surprises people. So that meant St. Patrick's College in Condra, Matter D, Institute of Education and Church of Ireland College of Education coming into the university. That was a big four-year project, but that has worked remarkably well. We were able to acquire the All Hallows campus. We were able to acquire the old Enterprise Ireland campus in Glasnevin and mm -hmm. convert that into an innovation campus. But people worked very hard. And people always had, I suppose, the, the, uh, the benefit of the students in mind. So that was a challenge. We always had a commitment to access to education. So our access program uh, grew and grew throughout the, the difficulty. So we would, in a given year, have typically 1,300 students coming from economically disadvantaged backgrounds. And just to see their lives changed. And, but based on the support of so many people in Irish society, all sorts of donors and corporations, that, that worked very well. And, and my good friend and colleague, Professor Derek, who was just taken over yeah. as president, he'll continue on that and do a fantastic job as well. So, but it was just a privilege to be there, um, to be part of, of a great story emerging. Um, I mean, in a university, there's two things you do really. They're complex, multifaceted, but ultimately you develop talent and you create knowledge. That's yeah. it. And it's how best you can do that and in the most innovative and creative way possible uh, to benefit Irish society. And that's what DCU stands for, you know, it's, it's still, in in general terms, a young university, obviously. This is our 40th year. Yeah. It's our 40th birthday yeah, this yeah. year. So it's very young still. Yeah. And uh, we're ranked as one of the world's uh, leading young universities. and very proud of that. But, for, yeah, we're on a, on a growth curve. And I'm, I'm sure Dara will continue that growth as well. And when you see alumni doing well, obviously you... you you must take a little bit of pleasure out of that. It, it's worse than that. I mean, my, my <laughs> daughter, Aoife, gives out to me. She says, I'm, I'm suddenly moved, she says, from having a family of 18,000. <laughs> but yeah, we're very proud. I mean, even your own colleagues, you, you think someone like Katrina Perry, Sarah McInerney, mm -hmm. Sean Whelan, I know you've honoured Donovan you've had on, yeah. on the show as well. All were very proud of those graduates. But it's just alumni across every aspect of Irish society. Helen McEntee, who'll be an amazing Minister for mm -hmm. Justice. Um, all the sporting greats, the, the Dublin well, you team. You have a very strong sports link, haven't you? In the college? very strong, yeah. and we believe strongly on on, on the on you know allowing uh, young people develop their talents. And if, if that's in sport, that's fantastic. And we've shown that you can combine the academic and the mm. sporting. But the things you can learn through sport, you cannot teach, and we very strongly believe in that as well. But I, I, I annoy people by telling them that if you take 2011 to 2019, so nine All Irelands. Eight of those, the Sam Maguire was lifted by a DCU student <laughs> or graduate. So now one of those, six of those was uh, Stephen Cluxton, yeah, yeah. but Michael Murphy and Brian Cullen. So there were great years to be involved. Who's the odd one out of curiosity? Kerry. Kerry stole my 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Never yeah. forget that. So, yeah. yeah, but, you know, they were great ambassadors uh, on the campus and outside the campus. And people like Paul Flynn and Johnny Cooper, you mm. could bring them anywhere in the world and they'll, they'll impress. But equally, the ladies, Ashling Maloney for Tipperary, Lindsay Peat, mm. Jenny Egan, who would have been in the Olympics yes. in Canoeing. All fantastic yeah. people, you know. Right. Your final musical choice, Brian, uh, is Codaline. Yeah, a good Northside band. I, we know the lads and lovely, lovely guys. Uh, how, how do you know them? Well, Vinny in particular, um, the drummer, Vinny used to gig in our house with our oh, son yeah. with, the, with the, the Rage tribute band <laughs> we had. But we met them again recently and they're just unaffected by, by their success. But we love their music and my wife and I, Catherine and I, have gone to a number of their concerts in Ireland and overseas and... Um, I thought this particular song, which uh, really expresses the gratitude that you cannot be what you are without the support of others. And all. So it's really, for me, a gratitude to 
parents, family, my wife, my children, friends, all the colleagues in DCU, my fantastic senior management team, all the people who've assisted me in terms of where I'm at the moment, I suppose, and assisted the university. So it's a, it's, I think the words just capture that gratitude in, in, a, in a lovely song from, from Codeline. All right, well, we'll play out with I Wouldn't Be from Codeline, the choice of today's guest, uh, Dr. Brian McCraw, who moves on to a new life now, and uh, I can hear the pangs for DCU still. But <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed, of course. You can't be uh, so attached to an organisation. I've been working there over 30 years and love the institution, but, but it's, it is right to move, to move on and, and to let another person come in with new ideas. But yeah, I'm taking a break for a few months before the next adventure. Good. Well, we wish you well with it. Brian McCraw, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Lovely to chat with you. And we play out with Code, code Align, I Wouldn't Be. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.